Section 9 of The Red Laugh by Leonid Andreev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Part 2. Fragment The Last. We look to you for the regeneration of human life. So shouted a speaker, holding on with difficulty to a small pillar, balancing himself with his arm and waving a flag with a large inscription half hidden in its folds, down with the war. You who are young, you whose lives are only just beginning, save yourselves and the future generations from this horror, from this madness. It is unbearable. Our eyes are drowned with blood. The sky is falling upon us. The earth is giving way under our feet. Kind people! The crowd was buzzing enigmatically, and the voice of the speaker was drowned at times in the living, threatening noise. Suppose I am mad, but I am speaking the truth. My father and brother are rotting over there like carrion. Make bonfires, dig pits and destroy, bury all your arms, demolish all the barracks, and strip all the men of their bright clothes of madness. Tear them off. One cannot bear it. Men are dying. Somebody very tall gave him a blow and knocked him off the pillar. The flag rose once again and fell. I had no time to see the face of the man who struck him, as instantly everything turned into a nightmare. Everything became commotion, became agitated and howled. Stones and logs of wood went flying through the air. Fists that were beating somebody appeared above the heads. The crowd, like a living, roaring wave, lifted me up, carried me along several steps, and threw me violently against a fence, then carried me back and away somewhere, and at last pressed me against a high pile of wood that inclined forwards, threatening to fall down upon somebody's head. Something crackled and rattled against the beams in rapid dry succession, an instant stillness. And again a roar burst forth, enormous, open-mouthed, terrible in its overwhelming power. And then the dry, rapid crackling was heard again, and somebody fell down near me with the blood flowing out of a red hole where his eye had been. And a heavy log of wood came whirling through the air and struck me in the face, and I fell down and began crawling, whither I knew not, amidst the trampling feet, and came to an open space. Then I climbed over some fences, breaking all my nails, clambered up piles of wood, one pile fell to pieces under me, and I fell amidst a cataract of thumping logs. At last I succeeded with difficulty in getting out of a closed-in space, while behind me all crashed, roared, howled, and crackled, trying to overtake me. A bell was ringing somewhere. Something fell with a thundering crash as if it were a five-story house. The twilight seemed to have stopped still, keeping back the night and the roar and shots, as if steeped in red, had driven away the darkness. Jumping over the last fence, I found myself in a narrow, crooked lane resembling a corridor between two obscure walls, and began running. I ran for a long time, but the lane seemed to have no outlet. It was terminated by a wall, behind which piles of wood and scaffolding rose up black against the sky. And again I climbed over the mobile, shifting piles, falling into pits, where all was still and smelt of damp wood, getting out of them again into the open, not daring to look back, 
for I knew quite well what was happening by the dull reddish color that tinged the black beams and made them look like murdered giants. My smashed face had stopped bleeding and felt numbed and strange like a mask of plaster, and the pain had almost quite disappeared. I believe I fainted and lost consciousness in one of the black holes into which I had fallen, but I am not certain whether I only imagined it or was it really so, as I can only remember myself running. I rushed about the unfamiliar streets. They had no lamps, past the black, death-like houses for a long time, unable to find my way out of the dumb labyrinth. I ought to have stopped and looked around me to define the necessary direction, but it was impossible to do so. The still distant din and howl was following at my heels and gradually overtaking me. Sometimes at a sudden turning it struck me in the face, red and enveloped in clouds of livid curling smoke. And then I turned back and rushed on until it was at my back once more. At one corner I saw a strip of light, then disappeared at my approach. It was a shop that was being hastily closed. I caught a glimpse of the counter and a barrel through a wide chink. But suddenly all became enveloped in a silent, crouching gloom. Not far from the shop I met a man who was running towards me. And we almost collided in the darkness, stopping short at the distance of two steps from each other. I do not know who he was. I only saw the dark, alert outline. Are you coming from over there? he asked. Yes. And where are you running to? Home. Ah, home? He was silent for an instant and suddenly flung himself upon me, trying to bring me to the ground, and his cold fingers searched hungrily for my throat but got entangled in my clothes. I bit his hand, loosened myself from his grip, and set off running through the deserted streets with him after me, stamping loudly with his boots for a long time. Then he stopped. I suppose the bite hurt him. I do not know how I hit upon my street. It had no lamps either, and the houses had not a single light, as if they were dead. And I would have run past without recognizing it, if I had not, by chance, lifted my eyes and seen my house. But I hesitated for some time. The house in which I had lived for so many years seemed to me unfamiliar in that strange dead street, in which my loud breathing awakened an extraordinary and mournful echo. Then I was seized by a sudden wild terror at the thought that I had lost my key when I fell, and I found it with difficulty, although it was there all the time in the pocket of my coat. And when I turned the lock, the echo repeated the sound so loudly and extraordinarily, as if all the doors of those dead houses and the whole street had opened simultaneously. At first I hid myself in the cellar, but it was terrible and dull down there and something began darting before my eyes, so I quietly stole into the rooms. Groping my way in the dark, I locked all the doors, and after a short meditation decided to barricade them with the furniture. But the sound of the furniture being moved was terribly loud in the empty rooms and terrified me. I shall await death thus. It's all the same, I decided. There was some water very warm water in the water jug, and I washed my face in the dark and wiped it with a sheet. The parts that were smashed galled and smarted much, and I felt a desire to look at myself in the looking glass, 
I lit a match. And in its uneven, faint light, there glanced at me from out of the darkness something so hideous and terrible that I hastily threw the match upon the floor. I believe my nose was broken. It makes no difference now, said I to myself. Nobody will mind. And I felt gay, with strange grimaces and contortions of the body, as if I were personating a thief on the stage. I went into the larder and began searching for food. I clearly saw the unsuitableness of all my grimaces, but it pleased me so, and I ate with the same contortions, pretending that I was very hungry. But the darkness and quiet frightened me. I opened the window into the yard and began listening. At first, probably as the traffic had ceased, all seemed to me to be quite still, and I heard no shots. But soon I clearly distinguished a distant din of voices, shouts, the crash of something falling, a laugh. The sounds grew louder perceptibly. I looked at the sky. It was livid and sweeping past rapidly. And the coach house opposite me, and the paving of the streets, and the dog's kennel. All were tinged with the same reddish glare. I called the dog softly. Neptune! But nothing stirred in the kennel, and near it I distinguished in the livid light a shining piece of broken chain. The distant cries and noise of something falling kept on growing, and I shut the window. They are coming here, I said to myself, and began looking for some place to hide myself. I opened the stoves, fumbled at the grate, opened the cupboards, but they would not do. I made the round of all the rooms, excepting the study into which I did not want to look. I knew he was sitting in his armchair at his table, heaped with books, and this was unpleasant to me at that moment. Gradually it began to appear that I was not alone. Around me people were silent, moving about in the darkness. They almost touched me, and once somebody's breath sent a cold chill through the back of my head. Who's there? I asked in a whisper, but nobody answered. And when I moved on, they followed me, silent and terrible. I knew that it was only a hallucination because I was ill and apparently feverish, but I could not conquer my fear from which I was trembling all over as if I had the ague. I felt my head... It was hot as if on fire. I had better go there, said I to myself. He is one of my own people, after all. He was sitting in his armchair at his table, heaped with books, and did not disappear as he did the last time, but remained seated. The reddish light was making its way through the red, drawn curtains into the room, but did not light up anything, and he was scarcely visible. I sat down at a distance from him on the couch and waited. All was still in the room, while from outside the even buzzing noise, the crashing of something falling and disjointed cries were borne in upon us. And they were nearing us. The livid light became brighter and brighter, and I could distinguish him in his armchair, his black iron-like profile outlined by a narrow stripe of red. Brother, I said. But he kept silence, immobile and black, like a monument. A board cracked in the next room, and suddenly all became so extraordinarily still, as it is when there are many dead, 
All the sounds died away, and the livid light itself assumed a scarcely perceptible shade of deathliness and stillness, and became motionless and a little dim. I thought the stillness was coming from my brother and told him so. No, it is not from me, he answered. Look out of the window. I pulled the curtains aside and staggered back. So that's what it is, said I. Call my wife. She has not seen that yet, ordered my brother. She was sitting in the dining room, sewing something, and seeing my face, rose obediently, stuck her needle into her work, and followed me. I pulled back the curtains from all the windows, and the livid light flowed in through the broad openings unhindered, but somehow did not make the room any lighter. It was just as dark, and only the big red squares of the windows burned brightly. We went up to the window. Before the house there stretched an even, fiery red sky without a single cloud, star, or sun, and ended at the horizon. While below it lay just such an even, dark red field, and it was covered with dead bodies. All the corpses were naked and lay with their legs towards us, so that we could only see their feet and triangular heads, and all was still. Apparently they were all dead, and there were no wounded left behind in that endless field. "'Their number's growing,' said my brother. He was standing at the window also, and all were there. My mother, sister, and everybody that lived in the house. I could not distinguish their faces, and could recognize them only by their voices.' It only seems so, said my sister. No, it's true, just look. And truly there seemed to be more bodies. We looked attentively for the reason and found it. At the side of a corpse where there was a free space, a fresh corpse suddenly appeared. Apparently the earth was throwing them up, and all the unoccupied spaces filled rapidly and the earth grew lighter from the light pink bodies that were lying side by side with their feet towards us. And the room grew lighter, filled with a light pink, dead light. Look, there's not enough room for them, said my brother. And my mother answered, There is one here already. We looked round. Behind us on the floor lay a naked light pink body with its head thrown back. And instantly at its side there appeared a second and a third and the earth threw them up, one after the other, and soon the orderly rows of light pink dead bodies filled all the rooms. They're in the nursery too, said the nurse. I saw them. We must go away, said my sister. But we cannot pass, said my brother. Look! And sure enough, they were lying close together, arm to arm, and their naked feet were touching us. And suddenly they stirred and swayed and rose up in the same orderly rows. The earth was throwing up new bodies, and they were lifting the first ones upwards. They will smother us, said I. Let us save ourselves through the window. We cannot, cried my brother. We cannot. Look what is there. Behind the window, in a livid, motionless light, stood the red laugh. End of section 9 End 
of the Red Laugh by Leonid Andreev.